0: What's good, lacrosse fans? And welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. It was a busy Tuesday, so let's get into it. We're talking Batley, The Rolling Rock, 13,000 in the tune, Johnny Rosa, Stephen Keogh, and What Can't Superman Do? All this week on OTCB. I am an alcohol. And welcome back. My name is Teddy Jenner, and this is the Off the Crossbar Podcast on NLL Radio. Thank you for stopping by, as always. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can. It's super easy. Two simple ways. I don't give up my cell phone, so no third. Two simple ways. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter. I am there more times than not, at Off the crossbar, there's an E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse punt. It was a great week in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, Five games on the schedule, and they were all really good games. Um, Maybe the Saskatchewan-Georgia game wasn't the best. Um, Toronto and Vancouver was a goaltender's duel. It was quite sloppy for most of that game. But across the board, all five games, were competitive and entertaining to a certain point. Buffalo hosted Rochester on John Tavares night in front of 18-plus thousand fans in Banditland, and wow, wow, wow. What a ceremony. Um, I talked about Scott Loeffler and the work that he did in my 30-second shot clock last week, and, and it's not just Scott, and he kind of... Um, made sure I I knew that, that there's a lot of other people behind the scenes that do a lot of work for the bandits that allowed that ceremony to go off um, so orchestrated and so smoothly. Um, From the speeches that were made by John, from all the video clips and the tribute videos and all the people that they got just to say thank you. um, From fans to National Lacrosse League players, to former coaches and former players, to Rex Ryan of the Buffalo Bills, Dan Bilesma of the Sabres. like That whole um, one Buffalo mentality is fantastic. And it's great to see everybody rally rally around um, John Tavares and give the support and adoration and honors that he deserved. And it was... An absolutely incredible tribute. I think I cried a couple times. Every time I go on back and watch those videos, I get a little teary eyed. And, you know, rightfully so. I think there was probably a lot of emotions going on that night in Buffalo for the retirement of number 11, sending it up to the rafters along with Darius and Rich Kilgore. Um, John's one of the only players to have the number 11 retired in Buffalo and to only wear the number 11. In his entire career in Buffalo. Gilbert Perrault was another guy when he was with the Sabres, and he was in the tribute video. But just an an incredible, incredible night. Um, JT, as humble as ever on the microphone, uh, you know, joking, candid, uh, lighthearted, got the fans involved, a little uh, Let's Go Bandits chant. And then, you know, you can often understand if there's a lull in a team after such a lengthy delay players are used to a systematic and programmed warm-up um, you know from when they drink water to when they stretch to when they put their pads on to eating something quickly before the game like all those little nuances of game day prep Kind of got thrown off a bit because you do such an amazing job of getting ready, and then you have this 20 minutes, half half-hour-ish break for the ceremonies. Um, But kudos to both teams. They came out firing right away. Uh, Also, kudos to Rochester for being on the bench for Tavares' retirement. Oftentimes, you'll see teams just stay in the locker room, but Rochester came out and was a part of it, and rightfully so. Like, that's a rivalry John played a lot of games in. That I-90 rivalry, the throughway rivalry, two teams separated by, you know, no more than an hour and 10 minutes, depending how you drive. Um, And what a night. And then to have Dane Smith, the great Dane, put on the show that he did, seven points, leading the Bandits to a 13-10 win. Uh, You know, it was the retirement of the greatest ever and a continuing rise of the great Dane. And that game Friday night was just spectacular. Everything about it, uh, a sold-out bandit land, was a great way to send Tavares' number to the Rafters. On the other side of the border, and up the QEW, Calgary beat Toronto 15-10 when Superman went absolutely off. And, well, if you haven't seen the goal, it's all over the internet. Dixon just continues to amaze and wonder with what he can do. Um, You know, a, a step back, split through, swim dodge, no look, behind the back, through the legs, bouncer, past Rosie. Like, no one practices that shot. No one really ever thinks about taking that shot. Maybe except Curtis Dixon. You know, John Grant... Does a lot of incredible things. All the guys on the floor can do incredible things, and a lot of guys are trying—not as not as much—but you know, guys are still trying. You know, one hand behind the back bouncers, or or between the legs, or little reverse flip shots, or we go back to last year and, and Miles Thompson throwing the sort of the no look backhand or top corner. Lyle's done it. Um, everybody across the board—that's an elite player—at some point. Has tried maybe one or two of those in their career. And you can't do it too often because, one, the, your coach will tear a strip off you if you continually do that and not score. But two, it's just not practical. You know, there are moments when those shots are needed. And for Curtis Dixon, a lot of times it's becoming more often than not. But he scores six. Um, Calgary scored, I think, three shorthanded goals that game. It wasn't Toronto's best effort after they had a bye week and they were on a bit of a roll. And so Calgary knocks off Toronto 15-10, which was a big game for Calgary because that win allowed them to basically tie Vancouver and put them in third in the West. We'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, The other games... Uh, on the weekend, two games Saturday, Rochester uh, was down big early. I think they were down 6-1 after the first. Then they scored nine in the second to really take a stranglehold of that game and, and jump ahead of New England, and then they cruised to a 17-13 victory. Uh, Stephen Keogh had probably one of the best weekends of his career over the weekend. He was the number one guy in Stephen Stamps, player of the week, and rightfully so. Um Keo's just, he's been one of my favorite players ever since I started watching him play. He's just, how do I put this? He just loves to play the game, and he has such a flair for the game. And never quits. And, you know, he's had some up and downs, and hes he's had some injuries in his career, but he's battled back. And, and he continues to show signs of brilliance. And I think it was Stamper who said, you know, he doesn't get a lot of accolades for a number two overall pick. And I don't think he does. Um, But I don't think he's underrated at all. I don't think he's even under the radar. Uh, He's just kind of in a system with Dan Dawson and Cody Jameson out there that kind of sometimes gets often overlooked. But he's still contributing game in and game out. And this weekend, I think he had seven goals over the course of two games and was... Just phenomenal. Just, just phenomenal. It was a great way to explain Stephen Keogh. And every time I see the hand swipe, it just makes me giggle. I just love it. Just a great celly. 13,000 plus in Saskatoon on Saturday night as the rush knocked off the swarm in the Battle of the Relocations. It was, um, I think it was Native Heritage Night, or it was a celebration of uh, Native Americans at the game. And that might have um, brought a few more fans. I think it brought quite a few more fans to the game. It helped that the Thompsons were there, um, Mile and Lyles to take on their brother Jeremy. So, so that was a little added bonus to the game to help some bring some more fans there. Uh, great article. Uh, I've tweeted it out a couple times, and it's going to be my 30 thoughts this week, so if you haven't seen it, check it out Thursday over on IL. Um, But a great article from the Phoenix Tribune, Phoenix Star? I can't remember the name of the paper. just confused me why a paper in Saskatoon is called Phoenix. Um, But the paper in Saskatoon did a great article on what lacrosse means to Jeremy Thompson and the Thompson brothers, and the Native Americans playing in the game. Um, And he's basically, you know, lacrosse is life. You're born with a stick in your hand, you're buried with a stick in your hand, and from life to death, it is all about appeasing the creator. And it was just, uh, it's, it's always enjoyable to watch those guys play, because they really do play for something more than just the game. You know, we always talk about, you know, players play for the love of the game. Absolutely we do. And absolutely they do. But the people of, you know, Native American descent, guys who grew up on the reserve, um, guys who have ties to the creator, play the game on a completely different level than anybody else. You can say you love lacrosse, More than anything in your whole life. And it may be true. But for the likes of Jameson and the Thompsons and Shatler and Bill O'Brien and Randy Stats, Johnny Paulus, and the list goes on. You know, you you can go back to the Kilgores, um, Mikey Thompson, just down the list. Those guys play for a completely different reason. And it's more than anything you can say you love about lacrosse. Neil Stevens, um, National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame journalist, wrote a great article um, on the Yahoo Sports Canada blog, the A-game blog, and it talked about Commissioner Nick Um And how he did a little tour of Six Nations just to get a true idea of what it means to be a lacrosse player from the reserve. And he wants to find um, something that the National Lacrosse League can draw on with that. Um, In the article he talked about you know, instead of just displaying the Canadian-American national flags at games, we also display uh, the Iroquois flag. He talks about, you know, possibly having ceremonies before games to honor the creator before every game. Now, I don't know if we need to go that far um, in doing a ceremony for every game, but I think we can absolutely honor it in many forms. I think having the Iroquois flag at arenas is a great idea. Um, but the tradition of the game dates back thousands of years. And we need to honor it more. And I think Nick Sikiewicz is starting to see that. Um, if you can, again, I tweeted the article that Neil Stevens wrote. If you, if you can check it out, please do. It is a fantastic read. And just another reason... Why Nick Sikiewicz is trying to change things and trying to change the culture of the National Cross League. And little things like that will help this game expand to where it really needs to go. So that's four of the five games. Uh, The final game was the Sunday matinee between the Stealth and the Rock. 9-6, Toronto wins it. It was a goaltender's battle. Nick Rose was incredible. Tyler Richards might have been even better. And he didn't face as many shots as Nick Rose did, but the amount of quality shots that T. Rich faced and the amount of quality saves that he made was just off the charts. He is playing some of the best lacrosse I've seen him play, dating back to 2010 when he won the NLL title with the South when they were in Washington. I think that this is a big turning point for this organization. It was a loss, but I think it showed them that they have to keep Tyler Richards as their number one guy because their defense is playing better. And when Tyler Richards is in net, their defense plays a lot better. For some reason, their offense has kind of gone quite stagnant and cold. And hopefully, hopefully that's going to change soon. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And what are those changes, you may ask? Well, the news of the day Tuesday was that Dan Perot is out as head coach and Jamie Batley as in. And as of the time you're hearing this, he's already been in town. He's already started the process of talking with everybody involved in the stealth organization. Vancouver was underachieving under Dan Perreault. Um, From an outsider standpoint, and from a guy who's watched this team very closely, it appeared to me that they had tuned Dan out. And that's not a shot at Dan. It just didn't seem to me like he was able to motivate men and get these guys to follow him. They showed signs of brilliance, but then there were signs of just complete apathy. And this past weekend's game was um, the final straw, I guess you could say. And late Monday, the decision was made by the Stealth to make this decision. It was announced on Tuesday. And Jamie Batley is the new head coach of the Vancouver Stealth. Now, I had a good chat with doug locker tuesday shortly after the announcement was made and you know he was he was respectable of dan perot because you know dan did a lot of good things with the stealth he put the time in he dedicated himself to doing all that he could to help this team get better and unfortunately just was unable to do that so um the process of finding a guy has been in the works for a little while now. Um, You know, as a GM, you have to do your due diligence, due diligence. You have to have a backup plan to your backup plan. And so along with uh, Denise Watkins and Dave Takata, Doug Locker sat down as a group and they had to make a very tough decision. And as the time that, in the time that Doug has been GM, this is the first real firing that he's had to make. He was around in 2009 when Chris Hall was brought in. But, you know, he's never really had to call up someone he's worked very closely with and tell him that his services are no longer needed. But that's the nature of professional sports. Sometimes you just have to make a move. And I was... Honest truth moment here. I was completely shocked when I saw the email alert. Actually, sorry. I wasn't shocked when I saw the email alert that the Stealth had made a coaching change because I actually believed that if there was going to be one done, that it was going to be done after that pretty dismal offensive performance on Sunday. But I didn't think that it was going to be Jamie Badley and I am still kind of shocked that it was Jamie Batley but for this group right now I'm actually kind of happy that it is Jamie Batley I- I've talked to guys on the stealth I talked to guys who have played under batley before and there's mixed emotions um you know guys some guys in the stealth are excited about it because bats doesn't allow passengers you're either in or you're in the way And if you're not going to do it his way, you're going to be sitting, and you're going to have to find a way to do it his way. That's the good of Jamie Batley. His lacrosse IQ is incredible. He knows situations. He knows schematics. He knows how to draw up plays, and he knows how to get the best out of players. Those are the goods. However, there is a bit of a negative connotation, connotation around Jamie Batley, and that is that he can be pretty hard on guys. And not that that's a bad thing, but I had a couple guys tell me that, you know, when they had Batley younger, in their younger days of their career, that they didn't feel that he helped their maturation process along properly. He felt, they felt that he didn't do them enough to help them grow. Felt that Batley sometimes played more favorites to some of the older guys on the team at the time and that the younger guys kind of took a back seat. There's fears that Batley's going to come in and try to blow this up and make it his team. Well, let's put all those uh, worries aside because as I was speaking with Locker, he said, Batley understands that he's not coming in to do a rebuild. Now, with the trade deadline two weeks away as of this recording, on the 15th. Maybe after a game, maybe after two games. He says, okay, we need to go and get this guy, or we need this guy, or this guy's not pulling his weight, we need to do something. Maybe that will happen. But he's not going to come in, he's not going to reinvent the wheel, and blow things up. He's brought in to come and be a head coach. His lacrosse IQ is going to be put to work, His knowledge of the game of lacrosse is going to be relied heavily. And I truly believe, truly believe that since the passing of CH and even before that, once, like up to the point where CH wasn't healthy anymore, before he got sick, they haven't had somebody that put his foot down and held guys accountable and made you play for every inch, like Chris Hall did. Bats will make you go through a wall. And I think guys will want to play for him. He's won man cups, NLL titles. He's been around the loop. He's been out of the league for a while now. But that might be a really good thing. Because as Locker said, Batley hasn't coached anybody on this stealth roster, I don't believe. I'm just trying to run the team through my head, but I'm pretty sure there's nobody on this team that Jamie Batley has coached before. So he comes in with fresh eyes and a fresh viewpoint and no favorites, no casted shadows, no preconceived notions of guys. He may have information and mindsets having watched guys play, but he doesn't know what a lot of these guys, a lot about these guys. So I think that's a really good thing. Batley's going to come in, and I believe the stealth had practice Tuesday nights. So they'll get a good understanding of what he wants to put in place. And, and it's tough in the National Lacrosse League when you only have one practice a week. It's not like you have from now until Saturday when they play the rush at home to. Work on systems for the next five days. That doesn't happen in this league. They have one practice, they have a shoot around Friday night, and they'll have a, sh- or a practice Friday night and a shoot around Saturday. You know, that's how this team is going to have to deal with things. And so he's going to have to work with what's there. There are some walls that might need to be torn down, there might be some egos that need to be put in check, there might need to be some guys. Who are just giving a stern talking to you, and there's going to be other guys who are like hey man keep up the good work keep doing what you're doing and i want to see a little bit more out of you it's going to be i'm really this is you know i've had people questioning me on 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 the socials you know do i think this is a good move you know making a coaching change middle of the season how's it going to affect the team well this is how i see it playing out for the vancouver Stealth. Currently, they're in last place in the West at three and seven, half a game behind Calgary. They have eight games left. So, Batley comes in, and this is how I would look at it. Your record is zero and zero. Nothing. You have eight games. Two of those games are against the team you're trying to catch. Two of those games are against the team that's ahead of them, and one of those games is against the team that's the best in the league. Now, they can win the tiebreaker of all three of those series. If they go 4-4 four and four over their last eight games, I think they make the playoffs. They go 6-2, and two, absolutely they're in. Now, if they happen to be tied, then it goes to tiebreakers. And that means that the game on April 9th and the game on April 16th against Calgary become that much more imperative. That's a tiebreaker. And the second tiebreaker is um, conference winning percentage, division winning percentage. And right now, Vancouver's 3-3 three and three in their division and Calgary's 1-5 and in the West. So they have that going for them. But it's going to be a huge test Saturday night when they take on the Rush. They've already beaten the Rush once, spoiled their home opener, and they'll play them twice in their final eight games. A win this Saturday would be huge for this organization. And it will start to push them in the right direction. I think a change mid-season for a team can be great. It can also be a negative thing, but I don't think this is going to be a negative thing. I think Batley will come in and will put his foot down. He'll start doing things his way. And as I said earlier, there are no passengers in a Jamie Batley coached system. No walking, no jogging, bust your ass on the floor, bust your ass off the floor. And when you're on the bench, you can rest. But in that time where you're on the rug, you were going 100%. And one of the reasons that I've noticed about Vancouver and their slow starts, especially in, in the first and third quarters, their offense Walks. Their guys hold the ball too long. Their guys take shots, look around, hope for a call, and when they don't get it, they jog off the floor. Not everybody, but you can watch that game and you can see guys shoot the ball, stand, look for a call, try to figure out what's going on, and then slowly make their way off. That doesn't happen under Jamie Batley. He won't stand for it. He won't stand for dumb penalties in the final minute, two minutes of a game when you're down a goal. He won't stand for it. He won't have it. And guys better buckle up their bootstraps because Batley's coming in and he's coming in to win. He doesn't like to lose. Um, great points, sort of brought up by Doug Locker when he and I were having a conversation. And they kind of mentioned it in their press release. But when you look at coaching victories, and you know, in the press release, they talked about people who've coached 80 games and have winning percentages. And there's only one guy in that list that isn't coaching or able to, or isn't in the NLL, and that's Batley. If you go to 50 games and have a winning percentage, there are 13 coaches who have coached more than 50 games and have a winning percentage. Seven of them are currently in the National Lacrosse League. Three of them have passed away. One is Daris Kilgore, and as much as I think a lot of people would like to see him have come in and coach this team or coach any team, he has some off-floor issues that he has to deal with before he gets back into the National Lacrosse League. So that's 11 coaches. The 12th coach is Tony Resch, an American guy who's probably the best American coach maybe besides Adam Mueller to coach in the National Lacrosse League. He wasn't coming out. And so then you have Jamie Batley. He has NLL coaching and winning experience. He has a winning pedigree. And most importantly, he has a different viewpoint than what Dan Pro did. And I think that's good for this Vancouver Stealth Club. They take on Saskatchewan this weekend. It's one of three games on the schedule. The other two games are Rochester at Georgia Friday night and then Colorado at Calgary on Saturday, along with Saskatchewan at Vancouver. So, a quiet week, but some really big games. Like, Georgia Rochester that's a battle for third place right there a game separates those two teams Rochester's five and five Georgia's four and six they've lost two straight and now they got to try to find what worked for them to try to get back into this playoff hunt in the east Colorado and Calgary you know that's gonna be Those two teams do not like each other. They always play great games against each other. And then Vancouver and Saskatchewan round out the weekend. A quiet week, but games that have a whole lot of importance. Colorado looking to continue and extend their lead over the National Lacrosse League. They're a game and a half ahead of Saskatchewan and Buffalo for overall. They've won four straight games and are really the crown of the National Lacrosse League right now. And if they can keep that up, which I think they can, they are the team to beat right now. All right, let's move on um, from the action on the floor and, and talk about some stuff off the floor. I don't think a lot of people understand the value of the PLPA, the Professional Lacrosse Players Association. Some fans may not even know there is one. But there is. And it may not be as um, powerful or as daunting as, say, the National Hockey League Players Association. Um, but comparatively to what the NLL is compared to the NHL, the POPA does a lot of stuff that I don't think a lot of people realize. Um They go to bat for players for appeals. They deal with workers' comp stuff. They're constantly talking with players. They're dealing with the CBA. And they're, you know, doing everything they can to make being a professional lacrosse player suitable for the players. And one of the guys that is heavily involved, a former National Lacrosse League player, a former teammate of mine, was a teammate of my brother's. And I believe he was a teammate of pretty much everybody that played between 94 and 2007. If you played in the league, you probably played with John Rosa at one point. Well, John is currently the executive director of the PLPA, along with president Peter Schmidt, vice president Dave Suckamore, treasurer Gene Ash. And this past week and over the past couple weeks, uh, the Players Association executives have been going around to all the teams, just having some sit down conversations with the players, just, you know, introduce themselves, especially to a lot of the rookies, maybe tell some stories, and just get a general feel of where guys' heads are at. Pick their brains, see if everything they need is being given to them, see if everything they've been promised has been given to them and just get a general feel of how things are. So, direct from his home in Windsor, Ontario, John Rosa, Jones us now on the podcast. Been a long time, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm excellent, Teddy. How you doing, buddy? I'm quite well. Uh, You are a Windsorite, spending your time there for the last decade or so, but what have you been doing with yourself since you stopped playing lacrosse?
2: Well, I've stayed involved with the lacrosse, with the Players Association, and uh, I've always uh, – I was a player rep as I played, and uh, stayed involved and became uh, – took over the secretary position from uh, Tim Sudan when, when he moved on,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, I, uh, you know, I, I've i got a 15- and, and a 13-year-old boy. They both play hockey and lacrosse, keeps me quite busy at coaching and just chasing after them as a parent, and uh Working with my own careers as well.
1: What's uh, yeah. What are you doing for career-wise these days?
2: So I I work for a a company called GK Services. Uh, We do uniforms and facility services. I uh, used to be a service manager, and I've done a few other positions with them. Now I'm uh, on the sales side of them with them.
1: Yeah, the big thing for you is the the PLPA, and and I don't think a lot of people understand um maybe even new there was a players association for a lot of the newer fans some of the newer markets uh, what does the players association do and how important is it to the stability of the national across league
2: well i, I think it's uh, it's quite important uh you know the PLPA uh, professional Lacrosse Players association uh we oversee the uh the players and uh um we're the uh bargaining unit that represents the players And uh, I I think a big part of uh, what we do, uh, when we formed back in uh, 92 and 93, it was uh, back when uh, the league used to be the major indoor lacrosse league, Mm -hmm. uh, owned by uh, one ownership group, owned the whole league. And at that point, um, you know, the NLL was just forming. And uh, I I think as a player association, uh, we were able to sort of, kind of on the outsides, but be a part of that and, and, and push it towards the NLL, which in the end really created what we have now.
1: The time, that, that obviously, that, that's a big gap. With 22, 24 years that it's been in existence and it's had many forms and, you know, there's been some good times and bad times, but how much really has it changed since those early days?
2: Um, you know, I mean, we always, uh, when we get together with the players and, uh, one thing that, uh, uh, we notice now, especially with the executive team, we're, um, all ex players and, uh, we've been out of the game player playing wise for, for a number of years now. So mm-hmm. the players don't know us as well. So we, we often tell stories of what it was <laughs> like when we first started and how, um, you know, you only got paid if you played, mm-hmm. you, uh, you, know, you were getting eighty dollars to a hundred dollars a game, um, if that might have cost you even more <laughs> out of your own pocket just to yeah, get yeah. that game. You know, little things like that—not um, necessarily horror stories—but where we kind of started and uh, where the league has gone. Uh, we often do uh, surveys with uh, the the membership, uh, the different players, and to try to get a good feel of always what's what's important to them, because what might be important to us isn't necessarily what's important to the players. And it's funny how it's changed. Um, I remember probably at least ten years ago, uh, salaries was a was a big deal. I mm-hmm. uh, felt that we weren't but now that doesn't seem to be the number one priority always as other things like free agency, uh revenue sharing throughout the the league, different mm-hmm. things like that to start to 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 pop its head up and, and become important to the players. The players are becoming more educated and different things like that. I remember,
1: you know, you spoke 10 years ago, and that's kind of when we played in Anaheim. And, um, you know, there was times where you were as a rookie and guys really early on in their careers, you were, like you said, you were out of pocket a lot of weekends uh, because you just weren't making enough money. And if you were traveling and you weren't playing then you weren't getting paid and you still had to put up all your money to that, you know, to make sure that you could still be there and and it's come a long way but those horror stories can you give us some of those horror stories that maybe you don't want to share with some of the players in some of those meetings but like what's one of those stories and you think back you know to the mid 90s when you're playing for Detroit and you have to realize like man I wish our players association was was bigger than it could be
2: well and, and, and you know what it was like i mean you you got invited to a camp or you you got drafted to a team um, I know myself. I got I I, I got drafted to Detroit, and we, that was back in '92. Mm-hmm. And um, I just got back from Vancouver playing out there for the summer. Yep. And I remember uh, going to the Man Cup in Brampton, and some young kid came up to me and he said, "Hey, congrats! You're John Rose. Congratulations, you got drafted." <laughs> and I didn't even know I got drafted, and I asked him, who did I get drafted to? And he told, told me Detroit, and I'm like, the Detroit Red Wings, because I'm, like, I'm still a hockey guy. I was yeah, like, what? Yeah. I didn't even know anything about the league back then. Wow, yeah. And uh, so it's kind of funny how it how it's evolved. And, and one of the main reasons why I got drafted um, as high as I did is because I was living in Windsor, going to University of Windsor, so they figured, oh, yeah. this guy will come out and play for us. He's right over yeah. the border. Um, So that that was was kind of funny. I remember when we first started the association, um, I've heard stories of uh, um, we weren't sure if we were going to start a player association or not. And we went and talked to the owners. And, you know, one of the things that we thought uh, was uh, something that we wanted to talk about was – Missing our own work because we all had careers. We all, you know, we had mm-hmm. guys that might have been executives with their own companies. Um, never mind, uh, you know, teachers, lawyers, uh, doctors, whatever. And uh, I remember uh, the ownership group back in that time said, "Oh, no problem. We'll take care of you. We'll give you guys an extra fifty bucks." Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And you know, to <laughs> us, you're like, "What? <laughs> fifty that, bucks? That's yeah." What you think of us.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Like yeah, and now it's it's now it's guys, you know, little things that that guys are worried about now is okay. I wanna I wanna fly out for my girlfriend, or I want a couple extra tickets for home games, things like that. Like it, it's crazy to see the how things have changed from back then to now, and and the needs and wants of players.
2: Yeah, and, and I give a lot of credit to the the uh, um, the players and, and the. Um, evolution of the game. The, the, the players are so much more professional than we ever were.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
2: You know what they really want is just to, to to be in the right mindset so they can go out and perform at their best, and they they don't want the other distractions really. And it, it's a lot more of a. a professional league in my mind Mm -hmm. because of these things these these players the even the teams that you know they treat the the players a lot better than they ever did before everything is just uh really in the up and up
1: how important is the role of the player rep Uh, you mentioned you were a player rep when you played i think you were our rep along with disher and anaheim um how important has that role been uh for the union and to be a go-between for the players
2: it is extremely important um we uh, every year we have meetings with the player reps um a lot of times uh, just uh communication and information going back and forth it's a lot easier for our executive committee to to, to get information to the 9 to, to 12 player reps and then um on the expectation that they're sharing that information with their team members
3: um, throughout the year,
2: you could have a, a player you'll go on IR and a new player come in, and sometimes we don't have that information right away. But the player rep typically will have that information and be mm-hmm. able to get the information to them um, immediately. Also, you know, we're not at every game; we can't be at every game. Yeah. There's things that can happen um, to a player on and off the floor, and the player rep can be there as a sounding board for. Uh, the different players and advise them, you know, if you got hurt, you know, talk to the workman's comp uh, mm-hmm. uh, attorney. If um, this is going on, you know, give a call to Dave Suckamore uh, and, and he can advise you from here. Just somebody that they can kind of give that advice uh, really to the, to his own yeah. teammates.
1: Is, is, is that becoming more pertinent nowadays with everything that's going on? You know, guys are more cognizant of, of making sure that they're getting paid on time or that they know all the ins and outs of the CBAs, you know, if they get put on IR, what are they allotted and what do they have to do to make sure all their paperwork's in order? Is that becoming more pertinent now because it's becoming more professional?
2: Um, it, it is, but but I will say that the, the teams are a lot better at everything like that as yeah. well. And they they really do do a good job um, with everything and uh, it makes it easier for us. And, and we're we're just really in the background, overseeing everything, and uh, you know, making sure that things are done properly, and uh, the, the players are are still you know taking care of for what they have negotiated to get. Mm-hmm. Really,
1: are there are there loopholes in the CBA that teams try and find, or is it pretty ironclad?
2: No, it, there, there always is. I mean, and sometimes you don't even realize there's a loophole until somebody finally takes advantage of something, and then, yeah. uh, and, and then the language, um, you know, because even when a CBA, uh, when we negotiate a CBA, sometimes the people that negotiate the CBA are no, are no longer here anymore. So, yeah. it, it's it's hard to understand what exactly uh, you're trying to get with that language. So sometimes the language just has to be changed. It's it's no different from the rules of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, the rules have slightly been changed here and there just to, to make it uh, uh, a little bit better.
1: 2000, was it 2004 when the first sort of real strike happened? When we were with Anaheim and and,
0: and, and there was,
1: you know, talks of, of there not being a season and we actually had a lockout for a week. And Do you remember those times and, and what do you remember about them?
2: Um, I, I do remember those times. I was on the negotiation committee and... Uh, um, it, it, it 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 was tough. Um, I was real proud of the players. Uh, you know, we were constantly, almost every night or every other night, having conference calls, talking to the players, letting them know exactly where we're at. And you know, really, as an executive uh, committee, we don't really do anything without the players. The players yeah. are the ones that advise us and say, you know, you know what, we we just can't do it without this or without that or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, so the, I was real proud that the communication was there. And there were some real, real strong player reps that would communicate yeah. with their team and and keep everybody on board. And uh, it was a tough situation because the game means different things to, to different people. Um, you know, some of the – when when my generation was playing, I mean, you know, it was always just an extra little income. But mm-hmm. for some younger guys, this is what they were doing for a living. Yeah. Um, so it it made it real tough
1: like I, I remember one of the big things that kind of stood out for me and and, and maybe this was just me being a young guy in the league but it, but to me at the time, it seemed like it was the older guys looking after the older guys and not and you know worrying about them there and now, and that that there was no real thought about the future and the young guys in the league was that was that true, or was that just young guys talking?
2: Um, no, I, I think it was true to a certain extent because, um, you know, if, if you uh, if you do a survey and poll 300 uh, uh, players, you're going to get so many different things that's right. important to the different guys. And I did find that some of the older guys, these are the things that were important because they were only there for a couple more years. And um, sometimes it's tough for people to see, um, you know, the greater good of, of the, the future as well. Um, so it, it, it was tough kind of looking at those things and the other tough thing with a, as a player association, those guys have been members for
3: mm-hmm.
1: a
2: lot longer and they've got a, a stronger foothold within the membership a lot of times as well
1: The, the new CBA is signed through 2020 is that correct?
2: Uh, yes, I believe it is tw- uh, November 1st, 2020 um, with a um, buyout or an um, uh, opt-out an opt-out, sorry Um, two years before that.
1: So, like, I remember, you know, we always kind of talked about, you know, it was, you know, the the CBA was up, going to be up next year, and we always thought, okay, are the owners and the PA talking about, you know, what's next already? Are discussions being had now for for what happens in 2018 or 2020 when the buyout or when the opt-out or the CBA ends? Are we looking that far forward? uh
2: we we definitely are looking that far forward um i i know for as a player association that a lot of the communication hasn't really happened cuz we're in a unique situation with a brand new commissioner mm-hmm. so um i'm sure he's he's going to take his, his time and do his due diligence and figure out where we're at and what's going on before uh we really start having uh stronger conversations and, uh, you know, for us, it's a lot of it is internal still because we're taking a look at it uh, because either side can opt out and want to see whether or not uh, it, it would something to be something that we'd want to do or if we, not, if we wouldn't want to do.
1: Um, in your talks, uh, cause I know you've been in the last few weeks, you guys, Dave Suckamore and, and, and yourself and, and, and Gene Ash and all the other guys, part of the PL executive, are going around and talking to teams and talking to players. What's uh What's one of the common themes you're hearing from guys now that uh, maybe they're happy with and maybe they're not happy with?
2: Well, most of our conversations right now is just uh, getting out there, touching base with the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things are a little quieter. They always are quieter when they, we're not negotiating a new CBA, obviously. Yeah, of course. But uh, just letting the players know exactly where 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 we stand, the information that we've gotten from the league. Um, you know, George Daniels as a commissioner beforehand Would always come to our AGMs Would always kind of give us a, a status Of where we're at with the league So we would share that with the players mm-hmm. uh, You know, find out what, You know, what, what's out there With the players, making sure that they understand That, you know, who uh, who's our Workman's comp attorney, right. uh, attorney um, Who's involved with the grievances Who's involved with the internal review Committees for suspensions And we just kind of go over and just make sure that Players, because again, um, it's nice for the players to kind of see a face, see Pierre Schmitz, the president, uh, uh, the vice president Dave Sakamore, myself, and then uh, Gene Nash as the treasurer. So just for them to to kind of um, get to know us a little bit better, uh, you know, again, all all four of us now are retired, so they don't uh, they don't get to see us on a day to day basis mm-hmm. as much.
1: The the appeals process for suspensions, um, you guys have a pretty good record um with that but is it is it as tough as it sounds to to appeal a guy's suspension and then get that suspension either reduced or completely withdrawn or, or is it kind of cut and dry um
2: no it's not it's not really cut and dry and it is pre- pretty tough i mean uh we do a, a blanket appeal um and appeal all suspensions just so mm-hmm. it gives us an opportunity to take a look at it uh uh, Brian Lemon from the league is 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 really good at sending us all the information, video clips, whatever it might be, and uh, our internal review committee will kind of take a look at it,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: you know they're they're what they're doing is they're trying to determine whether or not uh, this has a, uh, merit to go forward with the appeal, or whether or not we should drop the appeal, and they're, they're tr- really trying to take a look at, you know, the the tricky part for us is we represent both sides a lot of times. So, if mm-hmm. a, say, a suspension for a high hit, you know, we represent the player that got hit, and we also represent Right, the
1: yeah. That's got to be a tough dichotomy to, to to, go to battle for a guy to make sure he's still playing, yet the guy that he hit may be out for two, three weeks with a concussion or a broken hand or whatever it may be. So it's got to be kind of tough playing both sides, doesn't it?
0: it absolutely is
2: tough and and we have had conversations with the league on uh rule changes and stuff like that. It is still their league and they're the ones making those decisions, but uh you know they've been good at asking us, you know, whether or not they, we think this or that. Um you know cuz protection of the player is important to both sides, mm-hmm. yeah. to the player association and to the league. So we want to make sure our players are are protected the best we can. On the other side to it, um yeah, you're you're watching a play and you 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 know there's might not be any intent but maybe he did hit high or didn't hit high whatever mm-hmm. it might be and uh it's important for us to, to understand that we still represent that player as well and determine whether or not it is something that is a suspension uh or not. Uh,
1: let, let's kind of move along to to salaries of guys and it's the monies that are being paid out uh, are bigger than they, they've ever been. Um, they kind of got into a, a nice little gradual climb here. Is it a concern for owners that the pay scale is getting too much?
2: Um, I, well, I guess that would be a question really for them. But um, the, the, the pay scale actually um, has gone down because we did not increase our pay scale and went to an 18-game schedule. Right. So it it, it hasn't increased in the last two years. But before that, obviously, yeah, there was a, a gradual increase every year, a, a small percentage. And, you know, I, again, that small percentage is, is the decision made from the owners. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are negotiating these contracts with the players and negotiating them at, at a higher, um, higher amount each, each time. Mm-hmm. And with the uh, um, average salary, when that increases, it increases the, the overall Salaries as well for the pre, for the next year, so well, whether it's, it's it's an issue, I mean, I, I really think that the, if you look at the, the cost of a team, typically, I believe uh, salaries are, are less than twenty percent of what, what their costs are. So I'm not sure if it's if you compare that to any other professional league,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Uh,
2: typically, that's that's not really too much of an issue.
1: Now, this might be not something you can really touch on, but. When when I've looked at, at salaries, like, I can go back to, I think, two years ago, and I remember seeing the Rochester salary, and Johnny Palace was only, I think, in his second year in the National Lacrosse League, or third year, and he was already making the same amount as a guy like Cody Jameson. Now, is that an, an issue of maybe Rochester feeling the value of, uh, of Palace, or is it, a way of hiding money and, and, and as some people say, it's brown paper bagging it and putting a guy number on contract, but on all the bonuses and under the table stuff that guys can make more. Is that actually an issue?
2: Um, I, well, the league has done a great job of, uh, in the last, uh, I'd say five years, um, of making sure that, uh, all bonuses, any, uh, anything outside of their, their regular salary is, uh, documented. Mm-hmm. So it is part of it all. So um, we now capture all that as well. And I, I, I really think the league has done a good job in, in, in curtailing that and, and, and making sure that that is not getting uh, um, too high. I think years mm-hmm. before that, there might have been ways of, of uh, the guys giving an extra bonus outside of the game or whatever right. it might be. But now it's all uh, it's all being tracked. So they're not doing that. Um, or we're not seeing that as well, no. okay. but uh, you know it, it, it's it's really tough to say because it's it's the the ownerships and the the different teams that are that are giving those salaries out, yeah. Um, you know what the worth of it is of a player. Um, real hard to determine because, I mean, you look at guys coming into this league right now, second, third year, and, and they're in tops in the league in points. Yeah,
3: it's crazy. Great.
2: You know, some of these younger guys, they're coming in. They're fantastic. Great off the get-go. Yeah.
1: Um, what's next for the PA?
2: Well, I mean, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we got out uh, throughout this year and, and saw every team and just communicated with everybody. Um, we'll be, uh, you know, Probably in the off season starting to take a look At the the CBA and where We are and do our analysis And stuff like that and uh, Mm -hmm. um, You know just kind of Be prepared preparing ourselves For um, where we are At with the CBA Um, You know and and, and again You know most of the work that we're doing Is is, uh, just communicating with The players uh, making sure that uh, if There's any issues out there um, That they're being taken care of in a Timely manner and just keep moving forward. Uh,
1: personally, you were in the National Cross League for a decade or so. You played for a handful of teams. Um, what were some of your memories from from the early days of National Cross League? Uh, you know, it was it was early in the, in the MIL days where guys were still wearing spandex. Um, your legs looked great in them. I've seen pictures. Um, but what do you remember about those early days?
2: I, you know, it, it was uh, I. I being on the internal review committee, looking at some of these suspensions, and I'm like, man, that happened every game, three, four, <laughs> five times yeah. a game back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But but it is what it is, right? It's like any sport. You watch uh, some of the uh, the old NFL guys, some of the things that they were doing compared to what yeah. they're doing now is different too, right? But uh, y- y- you know, um, like any sport, uh, I, I think uh, we played because we loved it and uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, I would think that the players now are a little bit more professional, a little more prepared. A lot of times, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the joke on a lot of the uh, the Canadian players—they always had great stick skills, but they they were completely out of shape, and they're they having uh, pops after the game and so forth. Where yeah. uh, the American players were in fantastic shape, running all over the place, uh, but didn't have the stick skills. And mm-hmm. It's funny how you see that changing, and uh, we're both kind of learning from each other, and uh, it's improving the game completely for, for both sides.
1: How do you see the the state of lacrosse right now? Is it in a good spot?
2: Well, I'm, I'm real excited with the new commissioner. I think yeah. uh, from, from conversations we've had with him, uh, um, you know, while he's still getting uh, – um, his toes dipped in the pond here, but uh, he uh, he, he's, he seems to be a pretty exciting guy, and I'm looking forward to to where he's going to um, try to bring the league. And and really, as a player association, we want to grow the league just as much as the the owners do. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's our goal is to grow this league and help out in any way we can. Um, I do see the the league uh, continue to to rise and grow. Um, man, I was at the John Tavares game. Uh, Um, when they were retiring his jersey, and that crowd was just electric. uh, Watching the game there, I was just like, it kind of brought me back, and I'm like, this this is fun. This is just, it's a fun game to to be a part of it and to watch. And, uh, you know, the athletes are bigger, stronger, they're faster, they can do so much more things. Um, Some of the creativity I see out there is just, uh, you know, you thought, uh, you know, it was creative when we were playing, but yeah. it just got so much better, so much, you know, they they really know the game and, and it's it's really fun to watch. I, and I just keep seeing this league. It's it's going to improve. And I think uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you, if you saw the league, uh, you know, get up to 13, 14 teams and, and keep going from there.
1: It, it, you know, you've been a guy that's been in this league um, for long enough and you've seen the days of 16, you've seen the days of 13 teams. Um, is it, is it is the time right uh in this generation this area to to try to bump it up to to 12 13 16 teams again
2: I I think so I I really do um I think the uh the quality of the players um you know I I've seen players in junior and even senior lacrosse in Canada and uh knowing that they got cut from a team and I'm like wow that that guy's a pretty pretty good player mm-hmm. so I know there's a lot of players out there to you, you see how the sport is growing. I do a lot of camps myself over in Michigan and uh, the amount the sport is growing in the, in the United States is incredible. And I, I really think that uh, people watching this game and you're seeing, um, you know, this sort of hybrid game that uh, team Canada played in the last uh, three world cups, really winning two of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, People are watching that and, and the indoor leagues. I know uh, Shaden Santos, an old uh, player of ours, uh, is running that indoor league and that's going really well and, and there's just so many different um, indoor leagues that are popping up all over the United States. So I, I really think this is a good time for it to grow.
1: Uh, you're very close in that Detroit market. Uh, you spent some time playing there in the early 90s. Could could the turbos, if they were to call that, be awesome if they were, but could a, a pro team survive in Detroit now?
2: I, I think so. I think, uh, you know, if you take a look at uh, what they're doing in Detroit, uh, they're actually building a new arena now um, so uh, in downtown, so they'll be leaving Joe Lewis with the Red Wings uh, at some point. I know uh, the, the Detroit Pistons have always talked about going downtown, but mm-hmm. uh, they've, they've been re- really, uh, really trying to rejuvenate the downtown area in Detroit and uh the cross is growing like crazy um it's probably 50% higher than it ever was way back then when we had the turbos yep. and yep. there there actually is a club team here called the Detroit Turbos oh
3: awesome
2: and uh they're they're purple just like we were and uh um <laughs> I've actually had our Windsor kids go over and play against them and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And so people still remember that name, the Detroit Turbo. So I, I think it could and I, and I would love to see it. Um, I don't know if there's been any any talks, but uh, I'm sure every once in a while there is some. Uh,
1: you were a part of a few uh, startup franchises, Syracuse, Albany, uh, the, the Washington Power, and of course, uh, when we first played together in Anaheim. Uh, if you could pick any of those markets where would you like to see the league go back to
2: well i think uh you know washington and the east coast would be would be a great one um i think uh you know one of the big things that i always uh i always say about uh getting uh, crowds out to this game um we don't necessarily need just the lacrosse people mm-hmm. i think people that come in to uh um, watch an indoor game, and if they have nothing to do with lacrosse, a lot of times can pick up the game quite quite quickly and just see the the, the fast pace and the action, so they seem to like it. So sometimes our, our traditional field lacrosse markets, um, we don't do as strong, but I think the biggest reason why it, it's not as strong sometimes in those markets is because they're relying on just the, the field the lacrosse.
3: Thing. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I would really like to I remember remember back in the days in Philadelphia, half of people didn't even know anything
1: about no, lacrosse yeah, yeah.
2: it was sixteen, seventeen thousand strong every game.
1: Oh look what's going on in Saskatchewan, right? Not a not a traditional lacrosse market, but yep. you know, put thirteen thousand in there on Saturday on Friday night, Saturday night and it's rocking ever since they got there. And look at Colorado, you know, sometimes non traditional markets have the best success because you can start from ground zero and just build it.
2: Yeah, and, and and if you really look at most of us uh in this uh in the N L L it's it's a it's a blue collar hardworking sport. Mhm. And I think a lot of these places, um that are traditionally uh blue collar towns really appreciate it. Yeah. And they 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 see the effort, they see the work, and I get I get fans all the time and say, "Wow, I can't believe what this guy is doing." And I found out he's got the same job I do uh, yeah, Monday through yeah, yeah. Friday. Yeah, you know what I mean. So so those things are are the way they can relate to us a little bit easier than they can relate to some of the other professional athletes.
1: Mm-hmm. I think is an advantage uh, that we have right now as well. What do you What do you remember about our time in Anaheim? Because we you know it was. Two years there, and it was a lot of sunshine and a lot of fun, and very few crowd. Um, but the, the, we had a—it was a good time. And you know, we had we had the New York boys and Sombrados and Tambo, and and it was an interesting mix of Canadians and Americans. But we had some fun that first year, even though we went like one in fifteen.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know what? Uh, the one thing I remember is uh, gaining a, a, a newfound respect. Playing with guys that I played against for years. Yeah. That sometimes when you're playing against a player, you have a different feel for them when than when you're playing with them. I know mm-hmm. Casey Powell in particular. I remember when uh, when he was playing with us. I remember thinking, oh, man, you know, it, he was this, this this guy that was coming in that was highly touted American field player, and I just thought, oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna wreck this guy all the time <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. And when I was
2: playing against him. But then once I played with him, man, does this guy work so hard. Oh, I know. No wonder he's as good as he is. He works harder than anybody else. He's constantly practicing. He's constantly going. And and I remember getting a newfound respect for a guy like that. Yeah. I'll tell you one funny story for myself personally when we played in Anaheim, I was living in Windsor, so I would fly out of Detroit. And I used to always laugh because every Friday I'd get on a plane, go to wherever we were playing play the game and usually i'd fly back sunday um you know that went on for for every weekend and in the season and i i obviously couldn't make practices during the week but we would always practice late on a friday or whatever it was well the next year i ended up playing for toronto and i'm you know where i live is about three and a half hours from toronto well they would make me drive all the way down for a tuesday night practice drive all the way back and i'm thinking Man, it was easier for me playing for Anaheim. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's crazy how that works. The, the relationship to where you are and, 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 travel and, and it takes a toll on the body. I'm not sure a lot of fans really realize what sacrifices guys have to make to, to be a professional cross player. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's a real testament to the players that they, you know, they're doing it for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there, there's a certain respect for the tradition of this game as well um, that I love seeing from the players as well. And uh, you know, they just they they know that they're there to work hard, and and uh, it, it's really nice when you see the fans really appreciating it and liking it as well.
1: Uh, you spoke about the John Tavares night, and 18,000 fans came out to appreciate and applaud John Tavares. Uh, you had times playing with him. Uh, many times playing against him in the summers and the winters. Um, just speak upon John Tavares and his legacy and, and, and what he's meant to you as a player and as a lacrosse fan.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, J- Johnny and I are, are quite good friends. Uh, we went to high school together, so we grew up in Mississauga uh, together. Johnny's actually, I'm embarrassed to say, but he's two years older than I am. <laughs> and, uh, um I, I always laugh and I wonder how many other players are in the same situation where I started in the league a year after Johnny yeah. and I retired five years or six years, whatever it's been, uh, way before him. So his career overlapped the, uh, yeah. in a lot of different ways. Um, one thing that I thought was kind of funny, I was uh, teasing Johnny about, He, uh, they gave him a jersey and uh, on the jersey they had uh, – Knitted into the jersey, the names of every single player that played with him on Buffalo. Awesome. And it was throughout his 24-year career, he played with 216 players.
3: Yeah.
2: And I said to him, I go, that's nothing. Man. In 12 years, I played for 12 different teams. I played with <laughs> 216 guys, easy. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> uh. But
2: uh, yeah, you know what, Johnny and I, we uh, we uh, we actually won. The uh, Toronto Championships in uh, high school football one year,
3: yes. and
2: uh, that year I was a, I guess I was in grade 11. And I think Johnny was in his final year of high school. He was our quarterback, yes. and we, I believe we were playing against St. Mike's, and uh, we're in uh, at at uh, Exhibition Place, playing in the Toronto Championships, tie game playing Canadian uh, CFL rules. Yeah. and Johnny takes a uh, second down, Take goes in the shotgun position. We're probably at about a 40-yard 40, 40 line, maybe a little uh, closer, and he punts it into their end zone on second down. Yeah. Runs in, runs all the way there, and downs it, gets the one point for us <laughs> to win the championship.
3: C F L the
2: CFL rules, man. <laughs> it, it, it was incredible. I didn't yeah. even know that was a rule, and you could do that. Yeah. But, It was incredible that, first off, that that he knew the rules. He knew he could do that, first Mm -hmm. thing. Second thing, to be such an athletic guy, to be the quarterback, to punt the ball. Yeah. And to go down and and down it as well.
3: Yeah, that's crazy.
2: You know, pretty incredible. And then I think he went to Laurier, and he was a uh, cornerback. So Or a defensive end or something. Yeah, he
1: was like a cornerback or a safety, I think.
2: Yeah. And it just yeah. just shows that I mean, you know, they 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 uh, that all night in Buffalo they were kind of going on about uh, comparing him to Wayne Gretzky. Who mm-hmm. any uh, any of us Canadians, you know, that's a holy place to go. Absolutely. And uh, really, if you think about it, I mean, you know, I remember people talking about Wayne Gretzky saying, you know, he wasn't the fastest, he wasn't the strongest. I remember my old man getting all over me saying, You're bigger and and faster than Johnny. Why can't you do what he does? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He just, the guy is so, his intellect is incredible. He's so smart. I know he's going to be very successful as a coach.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, he's just got a lot to give, and and he respects the game, is one of the best things I can say about him. Um,
1: Before they go, a couple uh, questions for you. Who's your favorite player to watch right now?
2: Ah, you know what? I was watching the old Great Dane there on in Buffalo yeah. on uh, on Friday night, and he was pretty pretty fun to watch.
1: Yeah, it's special to see. You kind of touched on it. Guys are coming into the league now uh, in better shape, better prepared mentally, physically, um, and they're playing at such a high level even before they get to the NLL. You know, whether it be playing down south in the NCAA or getting a summer or two in senior A ball, but by the time they get into the NLL, they're light years ahead of where I was as a rookie and probably light years beyond that when you were getting in the league. But it's great to see, and it shows a lot of um, great for the future of this game, that guys are coming in um, ready to play from day one.
2: Yeah, and, 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 and I, I have to mention my boy, Brett Hickey, in yeah. Toronto. I uh, coached him one year in junior B in Windsor.
3: Yeah. And,
2: uh, you know, playing playing junior B lacrosse, and going to where he's gotten, he. Uh, what I love about him, he was a very good player in Junior B. Mm-hmm. He is ten times the player he was that I, even back then. Yeah, he's so, come So has a twenty-two-year-old uh, kid. He still took it upon himself to improve his game
1: mm-hmm. and kept
2: improving. And, and now, I mean, he's lights out right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's. Like, I, 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 I was still dumbfounded. He was the. He's the first and only player in rock history to get fifty goals in a year. Like that's just crazy the amount of guys that have gone through that organization and for nobody just scored fifty was just I couldn't believe it. And it's a testament of to what he's done off the floor.
2: Yeah, and, and if you look at he was with um the the, the stealth organization yep. for so many years
1: More and I
2: would get his contract I'm like, all right, hickey and uh he'd get into one or two games and that's it and then yep. be a practice player for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. It was unreal. Yep. Unreal. Um, Johnny, it's always a pleasure catching up with you How's, uh, how's little Joe doing?
2: Little Joe's doing well He's uh, He's living just uh, north of Toronto And uh, he's actually just about to go through things now Because he's got a three and a four year old boy oh, nice. So he just uh, took his uh, coaching ser- search for lacrosse this year And uh, they're going to go their first year in lacrosse uh, I think in Newmarket And uh, he's excited to start uh, start his career now
1: Awesome. Well, you know, you're doing a heck of a job with the PA. I know it's uh, very unheralded work what you guys do, but um, as a guy that was part of the association, I appreciate uh, the the Players Association. It's great for lacrosse, and you guys just keep doing great things and, and helping the game grow. So I appreciate everything you do, and I appreciate you giving us some time, buddy.
2: Yeah, no, no problem. Anytime, Teddy. I really appreciate everything that you're doing for the game, and uh, it, it's fun watching you on Twitter and everywhere else, and keep it going, buddy.
0: That's John Rosa, Executive Director of the Professional Lacrosse Players Association, joining us here on Off the Crossbar, and a lot of good points and stories there from John. And and you know, you go back to the days, you know, in the '90s of the MILL, and and even the early 2000s, when the pay wasn't great. And you talked about, you know, guys were getting 50 to 100 bucks a game, and and a lot of their trips were, you know, even though they were getting their flights paid for. By the time they left after the weekend, they were out of pocket. And that's changed. And salaries have grown. They've kind of steadied off here, as he mentioned, now that we've put 18 games in. But the way the National Lacrosse League is going and the way Commissioner sakevich wants it to go, the PA is going to become even more valuable over the next few years with expansion and and, and National TV deals that we all hope to do, and revenue sharing, and all those little things that are going to need to be put in place as this league grows, as the commissioner wants it to. So, great catching up with a, a good former team of mine, a guy who's got a ton of stories, um, and really has a passion for the game and understands where the growth needs. and He's played in a lot of markets, um. You know, he was in Detroit he played in Buffalo and Syracuse and Washington and New York uh, Anaheim Toronto and you know he he understood that even in new markets you had to make sure that you were visible uh, you had to make yourself accessible and you know you had to portray to the blue collar some areas it works some areas it doesn't uh, and John's been on the uh, both sides of that coin, and, and now he's really behind the scenes working with the PA, and um, along with Peter Schmitz and Dave Suckmore and Gene Ash and all those guys, they do um, incredible work. And, you know, without the PA, I'm not sure this league is where it is. Um, you know, we went through the strike in 2004. In uh, there was another threatening of a strike, I believe, in 07, And... You know, We could have had some really dark times in the National Lacrosse League if it wasn't for the union and the players banding together to make owners know that you, know, two th- you need two things to have in the National Lacrosse League. You need players and you need fans. And the union has done a fantastic job in keeping the players together and building from within. And the union is probably stronger than it has ever been. So thanks to Johnny Rosa for stopping by. And then if he's at an arena near you, pick his brain. If you're in Windsor, say what's up to John. Uh, he spends a lot of time working in Detroit, so he's going back and forth across the border. But just another one of those good guys that, that, that's giving back to the game of lacrosse. Um, and all those guys from have been involved in the National Lacrosse League or the MILL in some form all former players, and all now heading the union and moving the union forward. It'll be interesting to see what happens um, come 2018 when the opt-out clause of the current CBA goes into effect and to see how quickly they can, you know, if, if they do opt out or if they push forward towards a new deal and to see how quickly a deal can be done because as we've seen in the past with this league, they often like to wait till the 11th hour. And I don't think that'll happen under Sekevich's watch because I think he understands how quickly they need to build. And with growth and everything, um, a strong CBA and a strong union and a strong governor's organization, all three of those are going to be imperative to moving the NLL forward
3: go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man I'm the man I'm the man yes I am am am
0: we try to give equal love here on OTCB and I'm a huge fan of Defenders when they make an impact uh, last week I talked about um, how underrated David Brock was and how he's starting to gain notoriety much like Ryan Dilks. well foreshadow. Ryan Dilks is the man of the week in the National Lacrosse League. He had four points this weekend, two goals, two assists, seven loose balls, three cause turnovers, and he just continues to prove his worth and how incredible he is at his art. To be able to score two goals in transition to be a huge part of that Saskatchewan win this weekend. Dilks is, is a humbly quiet guy. Uh, he just goes about his business. He may not notice him as much as you see Chris Corbeal or if you see Jeff Cornwall even, or Kyle Rubish, who's three-time defending player of the year. This could be the year that someone other than Rubish wins. More so just because I think people might just be getting tired of Rubish winning and want to see someone else's name on the ballot. And not that it's, you know, a bad thing to do that. But it goes to show how strong the defensive core is of that Saskatchewan team that down the list is when you get to Ryan Dilks. You know, when you talk, when you say, you know, tell me you're the best guys on the Saskatchewan defense, most people would probably say, oh, Rubish, Corbeil, and then probably Ryan Dilks. Not anymore. Like, Dilks just quietly goes about his business. And you may not recognize him a lot of times just because he's so steady. Gets the job done, brings his hard hat to work, and battles, and battles, and battles. Along with Aaron Bold, he won the trifecta Last year, NLL, World Indoors, and Man Cup. He continues to grow leaps and bounds. His fan club of Dokes and the Shadow continued to rain down love from his hometown. Still rocks the bright blue shoes so that his family can see him on TV. And when he chips in and makes an impact like he did, you can't not but love what he does on the floor and you can't not make him the man running a little long this week but sometimes that happens when i go off on tangents and have a lot of things to talk about um you'll be able to read more of the things that go through my fantangled brain in my 30 second shot clock this week thursday over on Inside Lacrosse. But uh, the Canadian Lacrosse League or Sealax, has announced its finalists for tw- um, for the 2016 Player Awards that will be handed out at the Creators' Cup Final on March 18th in Oshawa. And it'll be between the Oshwegan Demons and the Durham Turf Dogs. Uh, but your Player of the Year awards are as follows. MVP, um, the three nominees are Dylan Goddard of the Durham Turf Dogs, Dan Keene of the Southwest Cyclops, and Jay Priest of the Niagara Lock Monsters, most outstanding player. The three nominees, Corey Fowler of Niagara, Thomas Hogarth of the Durham Turf Dogs, who's now actually with the Vancouver South, and then Dan Keen again. Top offensive players, Corey Fowler, Dan Keene, and Shane Scott of the Barry Blizzards. Uh, the top defensive player awards, the top three are Jake Kranz from the Southwest Cyclops, Mitch Dumont of the Lock Monsters, and Spencer Janis from the Barry Blizzards. Top transition guy, Hogarth again, Tom Montour of Osh and Matt Spanger from Southwest Cyclops. And top rookie, Phil Caputo, Cody McMahon, and Vaughn Harris. And then your top goaltenders of the year, Angus Dinley, Lucas Cote, and Jane Priest. Coach of the years, Matt Atwood, Matt Giles, and Brad MacArthur. Again, award winners will be announced on the 18th when the Creators Cup Final takes place, make sure you get out and check that game. Watch some Seelax action. It doesn't get a lot of exposure, and I may not cover it enough here on OTCB, but when we can, we like to give it some love. So, March 18th, 8pm in Oshawa, uh, the Seelax final goes between Weekend and Durham, and most likely, and I believe as all games are, will be streamed live across the internet. That'll about do it here. For another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Three games this weekend. It all starts Friday. Rochester at Georgia. That game can be seen on Fox Sports Go. Saturday, Calgary hosts Colorado. That's a watch ESPN in the States and TSN Go in Canada. Saskatchewan is in Vancouver, and that can be seen on Fox Sports Go. Just a, a quick note before they you go. I know a lot of people have had some issues um, with Fox Sports and trying to find the games. So if you're listening to this, write this down. FoxSports.com slash FoxSportsGo. That will take you right to their main page of all their games. And down at the bottom, you'll see the list of games. And then you can just pick the lacrosse game that you want to watch. It's never failed for me. And I hope It works for you. I don't know if there will be a show next week. I am on vacation in Palm Springs. I might try and get some sort of podcast done while I am enjoying the sun from the golf course of Palm Springs. But you know what? Maybe I deserve a week off, so we'll wait and see until the time comes. But until then, enjoy the games this weekend. Take a friend, if you can, and spread the gospel that is lacrosse. My name is Teddy Jenner. I'll talk to you next time. Be excellent. To each other.